Okay, everybody, let me tell you how this episode is going to work. We are going to be discussing Game of Thrones Season 3, which means there are spoilers for all 10 episodes of this season of Game of Thrones. So if you are not caught up, turn back now. There is nothing here for you. Additionally, halfway through the episode, after a clear warning, we are going to start discussing the events of future books that have not yet been portrayed on the TV show. There will be a clear warning before we get there, uh, so don't worry about it. I just want you to know that is coming. And I guess a lot of you are like, oh my God, I'm not even going to be able to enjoy half this podcast because I've never read these books. I don't have time because I'm always going places and listening to things, but I can't read anymore. And that's why I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment online. They have over 100,000 audiobooks you can listen to on whatever you are using to listen to this show. And five of those books are the Game of Thrones, or as they're known in literature, the A Song of Ice and Fire series. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash Jeff Rubin for a 30-day trial and a free audiobook download of your choice. And this week, my recommendation is very obviously any of the books in the Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire series. And with all that in mind, here's the episode. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show Annual. It is now annual. We're, this is the third one, so I think we can officially call it annual. Uh, John Gabris, Game of Thrones season wrap-up. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you for having me, Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. I mean, of course. I think like the second or third episode of this show was our season one Game of Thrones wrap-up. And, I, I, you know, I hope we get to do this for years to come, assuming George R. R. Martin stays ahead of the TV show and keeps writing these books. Yeah, I, I think, right, doesn't he have some clause like where he's got to have told someone the, uh, what he intends to do? So I read an article about it today, actually, oh. and um, and he did. He has told uh, Weiss and I forget, Debioff, uh, the two guys. D.B. Weiss, David Benioff. The two guys who are the showrunners for the show. He has told them how he intends to end everything should the worst come to pass. So there is like a doomsday vault somewhere with, like, the ending of the show. But, uh, so what we're going to do, um, and this is, again, I think what we've done in previous years, is we're going to talk about the TV show as a TV show. Uh, and John and I both read all the books. I'm proud to say I've finally caught up in this goddamn series. I've read all the books. Um, so at some point we'll give a, a clear spoiler. There'll be a clear warning about it. And then we'll start uh, discussing, um, you know, spoilers for the future. Ooh, yeah, let's do it. So... This is the best show on TV, right? Like, I think this season solidified it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's just such... I I feel like I'm, I'm not at liberty to say whether it's a good show or not because I'm a huge fantasy nerd and I love these books, so this is, like, right over the plate for me. But it, it's crazy how many people like it. I just read that it's the most popular HBO series since The Sopranos in 2004, which was, like, kind of like the peak of that show. It was, um, you know, towards the end of Adriana's run. Right. Uh, so it is incredible. I think I don't even know how to really discuss it. I thought a good way to do it might be to like break down subplot by subplot. Yeah, that that works. For me. I mean, that's pretty much like the best way to talk about like is to jump around from plot line to plot line. Because that's do- what the show does, right? Yeah, and that's what the books do. We might as well follow that narrative. Okay. And just like in that narrative, we'll just uh, ignore the Sansa chapters. <laughs> so. 
right, let's start with, with Sansa and Tyrion. What, what did you think of them this year? I thought they, they, that worked pretty well together. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was a fun plot. The Sansa chapters in the books are so boring because it's just her brooding and stalling time until other shit can happen for her. Because she's literally just a captive in a place she doesn't want to be, and it's boring to keep hearing how much it sucks to be there. I think a lot of the actresses and a lot of the actresses have brought a lot to the characters that I don't necessarily like on the page. Like, Caitlyn uh, Stark was never my favorite character, but that actress was great. And I think the same with Sansa. I think... Uh, you know, she's made the character more tolerable. Yeah, she has these, like, cute moments where you realize that she's, like, at least she's got some semblance of, like, human being left in her. Not that she, like, she'd be incorrect to be a husk of a woman. She's Her life has been <laughs> fucking absolute garbage from the get-go. So it wouldn't be crazy, like, her, like, spoiler alert for season one, her father gets her his head cut off, <laughs> like, in front of her. <laughs> She's about to marry, like, a sadistic motherfucker. Like, her whole life is garbage. Tyrion this season, I thought, kind of a diminished role for the most popular character, right? Certainly, but I think, like, that goes hand-in-hand hand with the books. As the world keeps expanding, you know, you keep, you can't keep going back to Tyrion. And, also, in King's Landing, it's a lot of wheel spinning going on. What was your favorite scene of this season? Because thinking back on it, I just realized that one of mine uh, was that one with Tyrion and one of the best new characters, uh, the Queen of Thorns. I can't remember her exact name now, but you know, the Tyrell matriarch. Yeah. Oh, shit. I can't remember her name. We should like have something like this open. Yeah. So that... <laughs> well, uh, whatever. Uh, that is a great scene. Yeah, well, it's one of the few scenes where you see, like, Tyrion put on his ass, kind of. Like, he's not the smartest person in the room, and he doesn't have anything smart to say. Yeah, uh, I miss, like, seeing Tyrion be the coolest dude in the room. Like, I feel like that was lacking this season. Definitely. I mean, yeah. there, there, wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot for him to do, I guess. Like, what really happened? I guess there's the Shay and Sansa tension. Right. How do you feel about that story? I don't know, man. I, I don't want to sound like the 15-year-old that I really am, but I just want to see fucking swords. I want to see people getting heads cut off. You know, that? <laughs> that's what I'm all about. <laughs> but I think Game of Thrones is making the point that the real battle is fought in the back room or, you know, in the bedroom or some other room. I don't know. Yeah. Possibly because they don't have the budget to show the battlefield, but they do have the budget to show nudity. Exactly. Tits cost less than blood. What was your favorite nude scene of the year? My favorite nude scene? Yeah, yeah, of all the nudity. Best nudity. If I had to go with best nudity, I'm not sure if there was actually any nudity in the scene, but the Podrick at the whorehouse is, was a pretty fucking amazing scene. Yeah, I like the new, you know, there's so many plots on Game of Thrones. This is like the R plot. But that Podrick is great at fucking is a really nice, you know, it's just good to know it's there. I, I know. I read Storm of Swords so long ago. Is that ref? Is that in the book? I was wondering the same thing. I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's just like, it, it's kind of a side joke. You know, they tell it visually, I think, in the, in the finale where, like, the girls kind of giggle and see him. <laughs> I love that. They just, like, giggle and don't say anything. And it's like, it's just a reference to his sexual prowess. Yeah, I don't think that was in the book. That was a good Tyrion scene. I don't know if there was nudity in that in, in that part. No, I don't think there. I don't think there was. What was your favorite nudity? It sounds like you have something. No, I don't know. I don't know that I do. I thought that. Let me see. Well, you know, what was the the uh, the romantic scene between Ygritte and Ygritte? Is that how you say it? I've been watching the show all season. I'm still not totally confident about how you pronounce well, her name. It's sort of like I think I've said this on uh, this podcast before. When you read the books first. 
Like, I didn't know that, uh, like, I always called her Hermione when I read uh, Harry Potter until I saw the movies. This is our, we bring this up, once a year we have this conversation. I think, well, you know what I'm talking about, you know, but her and John have this, like, they go to this, like, spa cave in the middle of the wild where, like, they have this incredibly romantic evening. Right, where none of the other wildlings hang out. It's like, oh, we live in a frozen tundra. Well, I call dibs on the spa cave. It's like, why don't they all stay in there and stay warm for the evening? <laughs> also, Egret really enjoyed oral sex. I think she, like, kind of kept dwelling on it a little bit. Yeah, it was really funny how much cunnilingus was, like, brought up in, like, three different episodes. So John and Podrick, kind of like, you know, the fuck stars of Game of Thrones season three. Yeah, I think what they're hinting at with John, though, is that he he sucks in bed and he makes up for it with some uh, good eating, like... Uh, something something I'm all too familiar with. And what do you think that says about his character? I think it says he's he's eager to please. You know, he's not he's not as uh, cocksure and confident as some of the other characters we see that have like claims for whatever. I was kidding when I asked the question, but that is a, actually a great response, and it totally fits with what we know about Jon Snow. And I think it's just like I I, I really was kidding when I asked the question, but. Um, it's just one of those details, you know, and, like, the way that, like, nothing is... The, Game of Thrones uses, like, every part of the animal. Like, the costumes say something about where they are. The food says something about where they are. Yeah. Every- uh, and I guess even the way Jon Snow has sex says something about his character. Exactly. I was. I always said her name is Agreet. I think Agreet is, the like, the hottest chick on the show. Yeah, well, she was on... She's one of two people on the show. I, I think I might agree. She's one of two people on the show that was on Downton Abbey, too. And I thought she was very cute on Downton Abbey, too. i never gotten around to watching Downton Abbey yet. But, yeah, her and uh, Terrell, right? They were both on? No, uh, Mormont. Jor- Jorah Mormont was, like, kind of the villain of uh, one of the seasons of Downton Abbey. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny, like, I don't watch a ton of British shows, but I've definitely watched some, and, like, the ones that I see people, like... You know, you got Gareth from The Office, plus, um, what's the character's name from The Office? He He's um, he's Packer in the American version. You know, he's like Ricky Gervais' friend. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking what's about. What's his name? Uh, some, anyway, he's on the show. So there's two people from The Office. There's two people from Downton Abbey. There's two people from Skins, Gilly, and, um, God, I feel like half this podcast is going to be us trying to remember character names. <laughs> Gilly and Gendry are both from Skins. So, like, I don't maybe, maybe there's only... Two dozen actors in Britain. I don't know. There's two dozen good ones. Yeah, that would be really funny. That would be like watching like a, a British person watching an American TV show and all the actors. It's like Tom Cruise, Will Smith. <laughs> all right, let's keep going through these characters. I thought one of the standouts of the season, uh, the, the Jamie and Brienne storyline. Oh, hell yeah. I, the, the, I, the little buddy cop movie going on there. Yes, I love Brynn of Tarth. She would be... If if there was a requested nude scene, that's mine. She got. She, I think there's a Brienne nude scene, wasn't there? Yeah, she stood up naked in the bathtub to like. And again, this is like you know a lot of people criticize the show for nudity, but here's another example where like they're using nudity, and I I think you can make the case that they're really saying something with it. It's like this big moment where she stands up and I forget exactly what she does, but she somehow dresses him down, you know. And the fact that she's like naked and bare, I think, like makes the scene that much more dramatic. Yeah, she stands up out of the bath. You only see, like, her butt from behind, but you can see that, like, Jamie's taken aback by her confidence and forwardness with it all. Right, so another, I, I, this is, I swear to God, my intention here is not to just uh, excuse all the nudity on Game of Thrones, but I think that's another good example. If, if we do that as a side thing, mission accomplished. Yeah. You know? that- Justifying nudity uh, is, is a job I would gladly take. 
I thought the bear scene was terrific with her and the bear. Just like, I don't know, people fighting bears. You don't see enough of that on TV anymore. Yeah, the maiden and the bear, right? That's That was awesome. I would like to, like, I, I really, like, I don't know. I'm. This is ridiculous. I would like to fight a bear. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you think you could win? No, I don't think so, but I feel like the uh, like the legend around me for fighting a bear, even if it gets broken up, you know, or I get really hurt, I think would be pretty baller. Either of those are pretty optimistic, uh, <laughs> pretty optimistic results from you fighting a bear. True, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> you know what I realized watching the season finale and watching that bear one, like. When they do the dire wolves and when they do the dragons, like the special effects aren't great, but they're functional. You see, it's a dragon. They're they're maybe maybe a little distracting. I find the dire wolves to be kind of distracting. But it it doesn't really matter because the show's so fucking good. Like it's so much better. I enjoy every hour of Game of Thrones probably more than I enjoyed any movie I saw all year. And it doesn't matter that like the movie has the real special effects where like it really could look like a giant wolf. It doesn't matter because like. The acting and the story and the characters are all there. Like, I'm completely willing to forgive a little shoddy CGI on direwolves. Yeah, exactly. I, I am totally able to forgive it. I, yeah, I think the dragons look better than the direwolves since the direwolves are something we have, like, a reference as to what wolves look like. They, and I think the sizing, I guess in my head, I imagine that they were bigger than normal wolves. But they seem sort of like Twilight when you see them in uh, the show. Yeah, they're bigger than normal wolves, but not... That much bigger. That like twice as big as a wolf. They're like 140% the size of a wolf. Right. Yeah, they're like 140% the size of a wolf. <laughs> if we're getting specific, it's like it's like 140% the size. This is why I don't write fantasy novels. It'd just be like, the wolf was huge. 140% times the size of a normal wolf. Taking all the excitement out of magic by using like a math algorithm. <laughs> I, that's why, even though this isn't, this is not officially the book half of the podcast. Like we still keep bringing up the books. And I think it's because like there is what I love about this show is like even knowing what's going to happen, the way they've adapted it is so interesting because there are decisions to, like that to be made. Just you know, how big are the dire wolves? How big are they intended to be? How big can we practically make them and uh, make it still feel real? Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I love seeing all these things that I've imagined in my head, uh, like. I'm so excited to see what every every stage is going to look like, every place, every character. And I have faith in them because they've done so well already that I'm not preparing myself to be let down like I often am in other adaptations, you know, where you're like, oh, I can't wait to see how they do uh, Bane. I guess Dark Knight is, the, uh, is like along the same lines as Game of Thrones. Like you know these characters and you're like, all right, I have confidence. I can't wait to see what Christopher Nolan does with Bane. I'm going to do you one better. I think they're actually in places, and this is, you, you can't say this about anything. I think they're maybe improving on the source material in certain places. There's storylines that they've streamlined and actually improved. And there's some that have gone the other way, too. I'm looking at you, Fionn. Yeah. But uh, there, there's some storylines that they've managed to actually improve. I think that, um, you know, I think Stannis is a much better character. I mean, Stannis is, I think, one of the best characters on the show, and he's really not much of anything in the book. Right, right. He just seems like a foil for uh, Melisandre or whatever. But yeah, I think he's great. Like, oh, he's I'm sorry. I didn't even. I'm, I'm confusing my old people. I actually meant uh, Ty Lord Tywin. I don't know why I said Stannis. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lord Tywin, uh, the dude who's the bad guy from Last Action Hero. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's how I wait. I like to pretend that that is the uh, descendant 
of um, you know Lord Tywin is the bad guy and last action hero. So it, it's in the same continuity. <laughs> you know what I just watched just yesterday? I was on an airplane and I finally got around to watching Dread. And I'm going to tie this back to Game of Thrones because the villain is Cersei Lannister. Right. Did you see Dread? Yes, I loved it. And not only that, uh, one of the villains, you know, henchmen is Avon's, Avon Barksdale. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's how they should have promoted the movie is like a team up of Cersei and Avon Barksdale. I know. What a great uh, – Let's we, we should probably talk about Dread offline. But what a great, simple, movie-making, cheesy thing to just be like, oh, yeah, this drug turns everything in super slow motion. You know, something that looks awesome on camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dread's not like the best movie ever. It's not even a great movie, but it's very streamlined. Like, uh, it works. It's never boring. And there's a few, you know, genuinely clever touches that you haven't seen before with the slow-mo drug being one of them. Right. It's like, that's just, all right, back to... Uh, all right, back to Game of Thrones. All right, we, we brought him up anyway, accidentally. Let's talk about Stannis for a second, because I thought that was... I, I would maybe give my most improved storyline award to the drag... Where are they, on the Dragon Isles or something? Iron Sta- Island. No, I, no, they're not the Iron Islands. They're, 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 they're on Dragonstone or something, right? Stannis, Davos, wow. Melisandre. I thought in season two, like... I think, you know, I watched the Battle of Blackwater with some people, and the Battle of Blackwater was that big episode in season two. It was the ninth episode of season two. And uh, I, the people I watched it with who hadn't read the books, they didn't even really know who Davos was, who's like a major, major character in the books. I think a fan favorite character in the books. I think this season, you know, um, I think now when you cut to the status story, you know who the players are. You, like, know what their goals are. And, like, even if they're not your favorite characters— you, you get what everyone's going for, what they want, and uh, what they're willing to do to get it. And, like, without saying too much, but as other characters start dying, you start being like, should I be rooting for Stannis? Like, you start to decide. Um, well, let's talk about that as a whole premise of the show. Like, just forcing the audience to try to figure out whose side they're on. Like, <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the many, many things this TV show is doing that you've never seen before on TV. And even in the books, this is something you're not, you don't often see in books, but you see it less on TV, which is just like... You know, this killing off main characters and not having a protagonist and just, like, leaving you grasping for something. Right, exactly, where you're like, well, those were my favorite characters. Those were the people I had banked on winning this whole thing. I guess now I have to slide down to my second favorite, you know? I mean, you go to the end of season three, and obviously Ned Stark's dead, but now Rob Stark's dead, Caitlin Stark's dead. Uh, like, all Jamie Lannister doesn't have a hand. Like, all the characters who you think would be the the heroes or the major players... Uh, you know, instead, the major players are like Arya and Sam. and right. um, But, like, for a while, you're probably rooting for Rob, right? Yeah. Like, based on the way they set up the storyline and following Eddard in uh, season one, your brain is probably following Rob. Like, the standard in a classic protagonist setup, right? You assume Rob is the hero of the story. And then when Rob is gone, you're like, oh, shit. And then that's when you start being like, well, maybe it is Stannis, even though, you know, he's got Melisandre with him. He's got there's some good. He's got some claim. And then you're like, oh, but wait, what about Daenerys? You know, like, I think it's so great that they do that where you're like, wait, who do I want to win? <laughs> or, and maybe like that's the point. Maybe you, you don't even want someone to win. Maybe like the point is that there is no protagonist, you know? Right. And that's right. what's so new about it. Uh, you know, talking about the death of Rob Stark, I can't believe it took us this long to get to it. The Red Wedding episode, obviously, uh, you know, the climax of the season. I think one of the best uh, scenes, you know, all right, let me, let me put it this way. So there's this entertainment weekly article with George R. R. Martin that went up right after the red wedding. 
And George R. R. Martin himself says that that is, quote, probably the most powerful scene in the books. So that's, you know, I tend to agree, but even George R. R. Martin, like, I think sees that. How do you think they pulled that off on the TV show? Um, I thought they pulled it off. Like, it was even more terrifying. When I read the books, it destroyed me. Yeah, it's it's a highlight of the books, too. It really is. And it's also, yeah. it's only like halfway through the book or two-thirds of the way through the book. Right, exactly. And it's and that hit me so... I remember rereading it a few times and being like, wait, is Rob... Caitlin... T-? Like, I was like, wait, what? Is yeah, so- yeah. That, that happens when you read sometimes. You're like, you can't believe something happened. You like, go back to the top of the paragraph. You're like, I, mis- I must have misunderstood. Even the death of Ned Stark, you know, as, as untraditional as it was, it came at the end of the TV season, you know. Um, and, and I guess this came at the end of this TV season, which is a weird adaptation thing. But, um, you know, in the books, it comes halfway through. I thought on the show it was great. Even knowing what was coming, I was so full of dread. Like, I felt physically ill while they were at that wedding. Yes. And that's what's so cool. Like, I, it's incredible how effective that is, even as I know what's coming. And I got chills a few episodes earlier when Jamie is leaving, uh, and he's or Jamie's leaving Roose Bolton, and he says, uh, "Give my regards to Rob Stark at the wedding," or something like that. Oh yeah, I know. But even Jamie, who's like, you know, I think in the pilot, don't forget, he pushes a kid out of a window because he the kid catches him having sex with his sister, with his twin sister. Yeah. <laughs> and now I think a lot of people forget that he's like one of the most likable, liked characters on the show, right? Yeah, he's very sympathetic for someone who is an incestual murderer. But even here, you see that he is, uh, that, you know, he's still capable of planning or at least being involved in the planning of something like this. Right, exactly. You know, it's hard to pick. If if anyone on this show goes on to have a bigger career in movies and, like, you know, uh, more TV shows, who do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be that, uh, it's going to be Lannister, right? And Davis. Wait, Jamie? Yeah, it's going to be Jamie and Danner. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, Jamie, great actor. I mean, he was terrific this season, um, and he's really – that character's had a lot of arc and has, uh, you know, had some highs and lows, and he's really played all of them and made it enjoyable – uh, and I think same with Daenerys. Daenerys is going to be, she's going to be a huge, what's her name? Amelia Clark, I think. Oh, Jemima Clark, right? I Something think it's like Amelia. <laughs> Jemima. <laughs> she's an old black woman that sells syrup. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, getting back to the Red Wedding, another example of the show, just using every tool they have, that music, and they have established that that music is Lannister music, you know? Um, I think a lot of shows, it's, it's just every element of it is working together to tell the story. Oh, it's so, dude, the Red Wedding is so difficult to deal. You know, oh, can we talk about one second? Every ni- the ninth episode of every season of Game of Thrones is amazing. Mm-hmm. First season was the one where Ned Stark died. Second season was the Battle of Blackwater, and this year, uh, the Red Wedding. Right, and I think that's like a classic HBO storytelling thing. Yep. Like, uh- the Wire, I think, did that too. And then the tenth, the final episode resolves some of those issues and then sets up the next season. That's exactly, yeah. I, that's exactly what The Wire did. And I, th- I think some other HBO shows have done that too. Well, I think it's like when you know you're coming back. Like network shows have to push so hard for the finale to matter. So they'll like promote, the office will be like, you got to watch the season finale, season season finale, season finale, so that, and then something huge happens and then the show's over and you just hope it comes back. <laughs> yeah, I think Mad Men did something similar last year where um, there was a death and it was in the second to last episode. I kind of like that because I kind of w- want to see the fallout from what happens. Like, can you imagine if the season had just ended with that shot of Caitlyn getting her throat cut? 
I mean, that would be pretty fucking awesome. But yeah. Do you see that video on YouTube? Um, there's a lot of videos on YouTube of people that knew it was coming recording their friends who didn't. Yes. And, and someone put them all together. And it like, that should be the advertisement for the show because these people right. are, ha you know, they're, they're like, they're having these huge physical reactions to it. Right. It's so, I mean, it was great knowing that that's coming. You know what I mean? You know that this is coming and you're like, your friends are like, oh, I can't wait for Game of Thrones tonight. And I'm like, guys, oh, shit, you have no fucking clue. Yeah. And then it comes, and it comes so hard. <laughs> and, like, just reading Facebook updates and Twitter the next day, like, Game of Thrones, what the fuck? Holy shit. All these people who didn't read the books, I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I was actually traveling while that episode aired. And, you know, when I got back, I was looking at Twitter. I saw a lot of people talking about it. And I was sad to miss it because I think it's like one of those singular cultural events that like everyone's talking about the next day. And most of those, I'm talking about like any sporting event, like the Super Bowl. I don't give a shit about the Oscars. Like I never award any award show. I'm just usually don't get to participate in those. But this one I'm into. And it was like the day everyone was talking about Game of Thrones. And me, like an asshole, I'm on vacation. <laughs> Next year, I'm going to plan my vacation around Game of Thrones. And, you know, because I've read the books, I, I, can, I can figure out. I can figure it out, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> so you're saying that the uh, Red Wedding is our generation's a Kennedy assassination? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, it, it's, I mean, and this gets back to what you're saying about how popular the show is. Like, it seems like it's it's one of those few things that, like, a there's... And, and there's fewer and fewer of them over time, uh, things that everyone is into, everyone can agree about, and everyone needs to see live almost. Right, yeah. This is the kind of show you watch on Sunday nights. Uh, let's keep moving around plot lines. So what about who, who we got? Oh, so what about some more of the action in King's Landing with uh, the Joffrey and the Cersei? Joffrey, what do you think of him this year? Oh, he's so perfect. That kid is so – I'm worried that he'll never work – as a non-scumbag for the rest of his life, the actor. Yeah, I'd love to see what he does next. Like, man, the whoever cast that kid, great find. He's perfect because you know, like, reading the books and watching that first season, you know how awful he becomes. But just seeing the beginnings of it, of like a young, like, power-hungry scumbag, and then just watching it unfold to the point where he's like, I'm going to serve uh, Rob, Wolf, uh, Rob Stark's head to her at my at my own wedding. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Saying that in front of his uncle, the the husband of that of Sansa. He's that kid is incredible in that role and I have this like this again like a physical visceral reaction whenever oh, he's on screen. I fucking hate him. I feel like he must get shit in real life. Like, you know, people driving by like, "Yeah, fuck you, Joffrey." Oh, I'm sure, dude. I am sure. I mean, which is of course a compliment to his performance, but yeah, and he's playing like an ir like like is it unredeemable or irredeemable? Like he's playing a bad guy that has like there's not even a split split when he's not being an outward asshole to everyone. He's shooting hookers with crossbows. That scene <laughs> was that this year or last year? That was this year. That scene kept me awake for an hour after I watched it. That and that's the one that the TV show invented. That was not in the books. Because Joffrey's not one of the POV characters in the book. So you never see just Joffrey being Joffrey. You always see him through the eyes of Tyrion or yeah. um, maybe uh, Cersei or whoever. Yeah. Um, so that scene, which was so dark and so twisted, on 
you know, it takes a lot to stand out on Game of Thrones as dark and twisted and evil, but uh, he might be the most evil character. Yeah, that was hard. That was fucking hard to watch. You know, you, even though we both read the books, you read the books before you watched the show. The show inspired me to read the books. So, like, when I'm reading it, like, it's already cast in my mind's eye. But you, you know, you had to to imagine it uh, before you actually saw it. So I'm wondering, like, which of the characters that we've seen so far, which of the plots that we've seen so far um, has been portrayed, like, differently than you had imagined it? Oh, that's a re- that's a really uh, interesting. Qu- I, that's a really cool question. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> but, you know, you know what the thing is that's hard to and like this sounds like a cop out answer. I stopped reading all the but like I finished uh, the Dances with Dragons. Like you know that came out right after season one or whatever. No, I think it came out before two or three. It came out about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. Yeah, um, and I had like read all the books before I even now the books. Like retroactively trying to remember the books, I am vi- envisioning the TV actors. The show has changed the books for me because now when I think about, I'm like, oh, that's just what they look like in the book. You know, like I had different images. Like I'm still like really curious to see what future characters look like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like it was one of those things where I was like, oh man, I can't think of Arya the way I used to think of her. Now I only see her as that actress. Well, let's talk about Arya. What do you think about her storyline? Which is maybe the most different from the books, too. I mean, she's just jumping around. This year, she spent like the first half of the year at the Band of Brotherhood Without Band. I almost said Band of Brothers. The Brotherhood Without Banners. Right. And then maybe the last half with, uh, or in the presence of at least the Hound. You know, in a way that Joffrey is the most evil character, Arya, one of the easiest to like, even as she gets darker and more deadly. Yeah, well, she's, she's a, I mean, when we get to book uh, spoilers, she's got the best storyline going forward. A lot of the characters, you know, they get really close to what they want, and then it's taken away from them. That happened to Sansa a lot this year. It happened to Arya, where she's like literally at the gates before the wedding. Of her, of her loved, uh, her beloved brother is there with his, her new sister-in-law, her mother. Uh, Who thinks she's uh, dead. Yeah. So, you know, she's like right just moments away from this tearful, beautiful reunion, and it's taken away from her. But I think what makes Arya so much more likable than a character like Sansa, and this is circumstances too, but, you know, Arya's taken fate into her own hands, and she's like gonna do something about it, whereas uh, Sansa's sort of just a victim. Right, exactly. Well, I think that's what's one of the cool things about uh, about the show, too, is like, Almost very similar circumstances happen to Arya and uh, Sansa, and we just see the two reactions, like the two sides of the Stark. We see, like, you know, like we see one person just tolerate it, and then we see one person, like, snap because of it. Right. Hey, remember when Littlefinger was on the show? Yeah, what, ha- like, I mean, granted, it's impossible to, there's no need to keep him around. He doesn't have anything going on. But that he's such a great actor, that dude. Like, I would just be shoehorning him into scenes. Yeah, he's just like, you know, hanging out with Theon in the torture chamber. Just, yeah, doing, just, just doing whatever. Just uh, casually giving monologues while he like, finger blasts women everywhere. Well, one of the interesting challenges of adapting the books to the TV show is that in the books, when you're one of the actors, you have to keep employed or whatever. Like, there's characters... You know, they pop up from one book. Maybe they'll pop up again at the end of the book. Like, you can just have them in one scene. Littlefinger, uh, who's an interesting and a great character, he's really not in the books that, that much. But you have this great performance. You have this great actor. You have to, like, you know, have... I imagine you have to have him in so many episodes a year just to, like, keep him coming back. 
Oh, I, I, agree, I agree. I bet you there's something to that. And I think that's completely fair. If you look at these as two different pieces of art, you're like, oh, shoot, you know what? Let's just make Littlefinger a bigger character. We got, we, you know, we got lightning in a bottle here. Let's like if they made this like I think they focused on Tyrion more than the books ever did. But that's because you have Peter Dinklage fucking delivering. You know, yeah. you got to do it. Yeah, it's it's it, I'm so fascinated by like the way that works. And it's interesting because like there's there it's not one or the other. I feel like you almost have to have to do both of them because the the TV show, well the book has stuff that obviously the books are enormous and have lots and lots of stuff that isn't in the TV show, but the TV show like we were just saying with that uh whoring scene with uh Joffrey and the crossbow, uh it has stuff that's not in the books. And I think that stuff um, has been just as good as what's in the books. And, like, if you don't know about those scenes, if you don't get that, uh, you know, it, it helps paint the picture and complete the world. All right, what about from the, what else from this season was not in the books? Help, help me out with that. It's been a while since I read. Hmm, I'm trying to think, like, characters. I feel like that, in that season finale, that scene between Varys and Shay, I don't think that's in the book. That, yeah, because I don't think either of them are uh, POVs in the in right. books. Right, so the way the books work and I feel like we got to review this every year, is that each chapter uh, is from the point of view of a specific character, and there's about a dozen characters. So not all the important characters uh, have point of view chapters, and probably the biggest character who doesn't is Rob. Rob, I think, is, like, completely absent from the second book, but, you know, and you only hear about him in letters. You hear about him through Caitlin, who is a, his mom, who is a POV character. Right. So any scene with just Rob and not one of the other point of view characters like Caitlin or like Arya, now that Rob and Arya have been hanging out much lately, um, is pretty much invented for the show. So that brings to mind the one where uh, he finds out his wife is pregnant. By the way, why do they have to lead the Red Wedding with a visceral, like a graphic stabbing of the Queen of the North, the Queen of the North to be's stomach? Oh my God, so... So over the top, right off the bat. Like, that's how they kill her? He just, like, starts stabbing her in the stomach? It was too intense. And speaking of minor characters, which is pr- pretty much everyone in Game of Thrones except for Tyrion as a minor character. Right. How about the guy who plays Lord Walder Frey, who has been on the show maybe once or twice up until now? And then he gets this amazing, like, monologue turn. Like- where, where he's got maybe the most pivotal scene, and I'm speculating because we don't know how, how it's going to end, even if you've read ahead, maybe the most pivotal scene of the entire series rests on his shoulders, and he delivers hard. Right, yeah, that, that, that is true. You know what's really funny? Just to jump back for a second about the Red Wedding, I was hanging out with an Australian friend last night who read the books but didn't know what the word quarrel meant. So when we were talking about like, oh, I had to reread a couple of times to see what happened. He had no idea what the word quarrel was and he was on a plane. So he couldn't like – he didn't know what hit Rob in the chest. <laughs> like, he was like <laughs> – which I also think if you're an American, most Americans might not know that a quarrel or a bolt – is what fired out of a crossbow. I thought a quarrel was a fight, like they had a quarrel. I didn't even understand what you were just talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we took that minute aside. <laughs> Wait a minute. Rob Stark is dead? <laughs> oh, shit. I only watched up to episode eight. Thought I'd do the podcast. A major change from the book, uh, The Red Wedding, not in the books. I'm just yeah. kidding. That, it is in the book. <laughs> but w- wouldn't that be great if the TV show just like did something crazy like that? Like just gave Tyrion like laser vision or something like yeah, that? Or like what about if this last episode they just showed Tyrion in his room. All of a sudden the door got kicked open. A guy in like a, in a full armor just cut his fucking head off right at the end of episode 10. All right. So we haven't spent much time in this conversation north of the wall. What about the uh, Jon Snow Ygritte, uh plot this season? Uh, well, I think uh, Jon Snow is like. 
Well, I thought he was one of the better actors until. Uh, oh, I don't think so at all. I, I mean, he's not bad, but like, I, I wouldn't put him in the just because the, the that the bar is so high on this show. I know, I know, but I, I mean, I count, I count like the kids as like a separate category. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Like, well, I don't some think... of the kids like Arya. I think Arya and Joffrey are two of the best performances, and they're very young. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I like Jon Snow a lot. And then, I, I don't know, in this 10th episode, in the final episode, he bothered me. I, like, forgot about the whole shit with him and Agreed. And I was like, this is annoying. Yeah, he really is his father's son. He's like a total wiener. Yeah, he really is. Like, that's the thing. He's, like, so loyal to uh, his father. And, he, yeah, he's a wiener. Exactly. He's a wiener. And he's so, like, just like his father, like, he... You know, you, he won't kill the guy even though he's going to die anyway, and this means blowing his cover. Yeah. I felt like we – I mean, I loved Gareth from The Office. I thought that was awesome, like that fight scene, how he wargs up to the uh, to the hawk to get some, like, last swipes in at his face. Wait a minute. That whole time that warg uh, was Gareth from The Office? Yeah. What? Yeah. How did I not register that? Um, and he's also in Pirates of the Caribbean where he also has weird eyes. That's so weird. I, did I mean, not... I'm pretty sure. I, I was so certain that I didn't even look it up, but I, I guess I could be wrong. No, I think you're right, dude. I think it is. Because I don't even know what that character's name is. Like, if he's in the books, he's, you know, of no consequence, and I never I never learned his name. Holy shit. I can't believe I never put that together. Finchy. Now I remember. The other guy was Finchy. The, right, right. Finchy is Ricky Gervais' friend who's also in The Ironborn. Oh, man. Yeah, Mackenzie Crook. Oh, he wasn't. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now. He is Oral Skin Changer. Now that I see the name, I, I recognize that he was in the books. Right, right, right. The uh, the uh, the Wilding War character. So that was cool. Who are we missing? Book wise. Oh, let's talk a little bit more about Jon Snow because he, he did a lot this year, I guess. Yeah. I don't know, but like ten episodes is you know not a lot of this show. I want there to be so much more, especially when like some characters aren't in three or four episodes. Right. Exactly. Like that's the thing. It. And I think they do that, like they do that really well. And I felt like the same thing even reading the books, where it's like, I want another, you know, above the wall. I want another like north of the wall chapter. And then it's like, no, not yet, not yet. And then when you get it, you're like, oh, there's like there's an element of pacing to even that. Yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and I'm looking at the season three Game of Thrones page, and they actually have how many episodes everyone was in from the main cast. So if you had to guess I'm seeing, and this is just a quick scan, I see two people who are in nine episodes, which is the most. Who do you think those two people are? Tyrion. That's one. And Cersei. No, Tyrion and Arya. Cersei is in, let's see, where is she? Eight episodes. That makes sense. But then some of these major characters, like Jorah Mormont, Bronn, who's maybe not a major character. But Bronn Bronn was hardly anything in the books. Yeah, Bronn's one of the characters that has really stood out on the TV show. Littlefinger, these are all people that were in four episodes. You know, and, like, I think about Game of Thrones all year round. I'm waiting for it. Davos, it says, was only in four episodes. That seems low, but maybe. Uh, But, like, that's not, you know, for the guy who plays Mormont, he's probably there for, like, two weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, in Morocco for two weeks or whatever he has to do. How does that show shot? How does it... The production just fascinates me because each episode has one director. It seems to me like you should get one director and doing the Jon Snow stuff. By the way, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Like, obviously, they're doing a great job, however they're pulling it off. Uh, 
But I, I imagine, like, the, the, the simplest solution, we get one guy doing Jon Snow scenes, you know, and wherever the ice is. One guy does the Daenerys scenes and wherever the desert is. Someone's, you know, like, the, the location seems so disparate and unrelated. Well, all right, here, here's the thing. I think I know how it works, but I don't want to be quoted as this in case any uh, for you listeners at home. But uh, watching the credits, you'll see something like uh, First AD Wolf Unit. And I think what they do is they have various units. So they have one like the uh, like the uh, above the wall, one in uh, back where Daenerys is, all that shit. And there's all different units being filmed there. And I bet you they have it on a rotating scale. So the director, I'm assuming, is like uh, in West, like shooting shit with Daenerys for their episode, while someone's shooting shit with Jon Snow for their episode. And then like the directors fly. I'm mean, just guessing all this. The directors fly to that set, land, and it's like, let's shoot the three days I need for my episode. Yeah, I mean, there's people on this show, like the guy that plays Joffrey, has he ever met the guy who plays Davos? Or has, you know, Peter Dinklage ever met Jorah Mermont? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if uh, the interiors are all shot somewhere. Sim- you know, like, I'm curious. Like, But I... I I bet you're right. I bet you that's like one of those things where it's like they, they they met at like red carpets. Right, right. So two characters, two major plot lines, I think. There's probably more, but two ones I really want to make sure we hit. Uh, Daenerys. I thought a much improved season for Daenerys. She actually had something to do this year. And even though her plot kind of climaxed in the middle of the season. Right. And then she had that fairly undramatic takeover of Pentos, I think. The last uh, where she just crowd surfs. Yeah, wherever that is. I thought she actually had something to do this year and... It was much improved over her story in season two. Yeah, totally. Well, I think they were like, she's not really that much in book two, you know? So they had to like, but she's important overall and she's clearly a a fan favorite. So they had to do uh, like, they had to just keep her around last season, just do some random episodes with her. Remember, it took like five episodes for her to track down her dragons from that Uh, weird book. Yeah. Right, and I think that's just to like make make it work timeline wise. Even though the Daenerys plotline was a little more interesting this year, it does feel like it's starting to get a little bit repetitive. Like she comes, she sees, she conquers. Yeah, it's like it's- not that surprising anymore when um you know she frees the slaves. Like we've seen her address the slaves and them immediately uh, follow her before. And, it, and it's not, not effective, but it, it's been done before already on the show. Right, right, right. Her plot line is pretty repetitive. But I'm, um, I think back half of three and beginning of four, book four is when her plot line gets like re- really different. Uh, well, let's save that. Let's save that. Let's put, let's put a cork in that for now. And last one we got to discuss is... Last one we got to discuss is... I have a list. Sam, we can skip that. Anything to say about Sam or Gilly? I feel like Sam is uh, the George R.R. R. Martin character. I don't like Sam. He's one of my least favorite characters. He is really annoying, even in the books. Yeah, he's just like whiny and like not in a fun way. Yeah, no, not a, not at all. But yeah, I think he is like the George R.R. R. Martin character. He's like, what do you mean by that? He's, uh, I imagine that George R.R. R. Martin inserted himself into the story as Sam. As like the good-natured, doughy, uh, physically incapable, but very intelligent, and his intelligence breeds bravery and stuff like that. I have a feeling like that's who that character is. So last one, and unfor- I-, I feel a little weird that we're ending uh, on kind of what maybe a down note. Theon. Oh, dude, oof, pretty difficult to watch, um, and I think not in the way that they wanted it to be difficult to watch. 
Well, the books are the books are intense. Well, a lot of, and this is not a spoiler for the books or anything to come. But a lot of this wasn't in the books, and you know the Theon after the sack of Winterfell, you think he's dead for like two or three books, and then a little later he's come back, and it's revealed he's been tortured the whole time. But again, because they have to keep Alfie Allen employed to keep him on the show, so he can be important later, or whatever. Um, which he may or may not be, I really don't know. He, um, you, you gotta, they had to get something for him to do, and unfortunately, all they could do is just kind of like run in place all year with him being tortured. Yeah, and I think I think the reason, um, well, it, real quick, in the books, he's just introduced as Reek, and you don't really know who he is, right? Right, and there's been a few times, and this is interesting, I think, even if you haven't read the books, uh, there's been a few times where, like, the reveal of a character's identity is a big deal. Um, right. For instance, Reek, like, you meet this character, Reek, who's crazy and has been tortured, and then at the end of the chapter or whatever, you learn that that was uh, Theon. Or another one is Sir Barristan, who's the old dude who's hanging out with Daenerys and Jorah Mormont. Right. In the books, he spends an entire book in disguise, and you don't know who it is. Right. But since that character had already appeared on the show, and we know who it is, they just dispensed with all that, and he showed up, and he was like, hey, I'm Sir Barristan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was definitely the dud of the season. Like, I think the only outright not interesting plot line of the season. I thought some of the Caitlyn, Rob, uh, whatever Rob's wife's name is, Stuff was a little hard to take, but obviously paid off hugely in the Red Wedding, whereas the Theon stuff was, like, just torture. It's, like, not that great story-wise, and it's hard to watch, like, just graphic-wise. So it just seems a little unnecessary. You know, it feels like too much. You know, it's like... I don't have like I don't need to watch this to gain any more story knowledge, but it's also very difficult to watch because it's a guy getting his dick cut off and like these gra- graphic. Did we? Were you and I the ones who talked about this? Like those two girls? Like who? How? How do you agree to that? You're like, yeah. look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seduce this guy, make him think he's gonna have a threesome, and then stand by as I cut his penis off. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see that Craigslist ad. <laughs> I'd love to respond to that Craigslist ad. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I feel like we're having some trouble keeping the book conversation under control, so maybe this is where we mark it. Maybe this is where – I mean, yeah. great season of TV. I think it's probably the best show on TV, and people are noticing. I love it. I can't wait for next year. Um, and I think we're about to talk about what happens in book four or five. So this is like we are about to be playing with fire. This would be a great time to stop listening if you haven't read the books, I think maybe like let's have a little palate cleanser just to give people a chance to get their iPods out, prepare to stop. Let's talk about Fast and Furious. Let's do it. Oh, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fast Six, dude. Movie of the summer. So good. And I got to tell you, um, and you can probably hear me. You know, I'm on the record as this because Pat and I did a whole summer movie roundup where we like, talked about how forward we were looking at any of the movies. And I was looking forward to Fast and the Furious. I was going to see it. But it really exceeded my expectations. I really, really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I liked it way more than Iron Man 3, and I can't believe I'm saying that. I liked it way more than Iron Man 3 as well. The ending? Can we talk about spoilers for Fast and the Furious? Okay, here is where things are going to get confusing, because this was supposed to be the spoiler changeover zone, where you didn't have to worry about them, but we decided that, yes, we do have to talk about the ending of Fast and the Furious. So here I am, recording a spoiler warning in the part of the show that was supposed to give you time to put away your phone so you didn't hear spoilers. So here's what's happening. Uh, If you have not read the Game of Thrones books, you don't want to hear the second half of this show, and you don't want the end of Fast and the Furious spoiled for you, 
just stop listening now. Next week on the show, I'm going to be talking to a Canadian RC airplane champion. It's going to be a lot of fun. I will see you there. If you have read the Game of Thrones books but not seen Fast and the Furious, you're going to want to skip the next about four minutes of the show. You're going to want to skip to 51 minutes and 35 seconds. Oh my god, I am so sorry this is happening to all of us right now, but it is. If you have seen Fast and the Furious, but you don't want to hear about the Game of Thrones books, just keep listening for another minute or two. You will hear me say, okay, I think people have put their iPods away. I feel like the shackles are off. That is your cue to stop listening so you don't hear anything about the books. If you have seen Fast and the Furious and read the Game of Thrones books, congratulations, you are the coolest And you are rewarded by uh, not having to do anything right now. You can just keep listening. Okay, that's all the rules. Okay, that's everything. I'm sorry I interrupted. John, what were you saying? Can I talk about the fact that I think I might like Fast Five better than, and Fast Six, like, better than Avengers? Like, I really think I might. I don't know if I'll go that far. (laughs) I'm scared to say I might, dude. I'm really, I just enjoyed it so much. Can we talk about the ending? Because the end, I thought the ending was phenomenal. I think it's out there now. People know, people know about the ending. Right. Okay, so there is a post-credit sequence where they reveal that the villain for Fast 7, which they're already shooting and is coming out in 2014, is going to be Jason Statham. Yes. It's so awesome. I mean, I think we knew that already because they were teasing that Statham was going to be in 7. I, I was not totally surprised by it, which is why I don't feel bad talking about it. The only uh, the only time I've ever seen a reaction like that in a movie theater is at the Avengers when they revealed Thanos was going to be the villain for, I guess, Avengers 2 or whatever. Right, the right, crowd right. went ape shit. Like, I've never seen anything like it, like except for the this this moment in the Avengers. But the crowd was just like, oh, like, I, it was amazing. You know, you, you really rarely get that in a movie. It was so cool. The thing about it was it was such a cheesy setup that in that one scene between The Rock and the bad guy, and he's just like, he's just like, my brother always said, and that's the only tease to who the villain of the next movie is. <laughs> also, I love the extraordinarily complicated retcon. So retcon, for those that don't know, you don't read comic oh, like, books. Oh, let's wait. Hold on. Stand by for a second. I had a brilliant time explaining to my friends who like Fast Five and Fast Six, but don't know what retconning means. It was such an interesting confluence of <laughs> so, like, shit. They totally retcon that, and they're like, "Wait, what's that?" I'm like, "Oh, you're a different type of nerd." Hold on. <laughs> so retconning is something that happens all the time in comic books. It's retroactive continuity fixes. So like, this is like Matt Murdock, uh, who's Daredevil. It used to be there was just like some random truck accident and he got spilled with chemicals. But now maybe it wasn't so random and there was always this government test. And like this was not at all planned when the character was initially conceived and his origin was conceived. But something they're adding now and saying was always a part of the storyline. Yeah, um, exactly. So that it happens all the time in comic books. But you rarely see it in movies and you rarely see it in movies that are as dumb, and I mean that lovingly, as dumb as Fast and the Furious. Oh, God, I know. I couldn't believe that they did that. So basically what happened is, in Fast and the Furious 3, and I didn't understand this, by the way. The person I saw it with, my friend Justin, he had seen, I've never seen Tokyo Drift. He explained the significance of the scene to me after. But basically, in Tokyo Drift, this character dies, and so you always knew that Fast 5, no, Fast 4, 5, and 6, which he was in, I guess you were supposed to figure out were prequels to Tokyo Drift, and it just took two or three films worth of storytelling yeah. to set up that that was no random accident at all. It was payback for the events of Fast Six. I know that's what's crazy. Well, at the, if you remember at the end of Five, 
they sort of do a post credit thing where he's driving with right. uh, his girl, and she's like, "Are we going to Tokyo?" And he's like, "Not yet." And you know, it's because that's where he dies. It's oh, I don't remember that. But there is a post credit scene in Fast Five where like Gina Gershon returns, and they reveal that Letty is alive. Yes, uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Right. All right. People have put their iPods away. Let's get back to Game of Thrones. I'm, I'm excited. I feel like the shackles are off and we can really talk now about these books. I think last year when we talked, I was like, I was disappointed because I had intended to finish Dance with Dragons before we talked and I wasn't able to do it. Right. And I can now tell you a year later, I wasn't even close. It took me like an additional six goddamn months to finish that fucking book. So here's the big question. I didn't want to say this to people that haven't read the books. I think Storm of Swords is pretty generally agreed to be the best of the series, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think four and five are probably the two worst of the series. I actually didn't like the fourth and fifth book very much at all. I really had a hard time with the fifth book, and especially the ending. Like, the end of the last book, when Jon Snow is killed, whatever, you know, potentially killed, I was like, that felt so unearned and didn't matter. It felt almost like, oh, I've been getting a lot of notoriety for killing main characters. Let's just kill another main character. It felt completely unearned for me. Wait, when who died? Jon Snow. He dies? Do I even? I don't even remember that. Well, he's like stabbed at the end of book five, and that's the other. Oh, th- well, I don't think that necessarily means he's dead. You never right. know with Game but of that's Thrones. The thing that, that's that's what makes it even worse. It just and then the book just ends there, and the fact that you don't even remember it is more of a sign of that than anything else. Right, because that's what happens with Theon. Is like you think like the last Theon chapter, and I guess it's the Clash of Kings, is like. And then, you know, he gave up and succumbed to screaming. And, and so you've seen characters die at the end of their chapter four. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin Stark, too, only to, you know, learn. I think it even happens with Jon Snow earlier in the book, honestly. Is that possible? Are there two fake outs? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I read the is. book a year ago because now it's been a while since I read it. Here's where the book adaptation is going to be get, start getting interesting. Season one, a pretty straight adaptation of book one. Season right. two, a pretty straight adaptation of book two. Season three starts to play with the chronology a little bit, um, you know, to get Theon back involved. I guess though, not really. You just and it's split up. It's split up into two seasons. This is so. This is where it's going to start to get interesting because I actually don't even. Re- well, I remember there's the other wedding in Storm of Swords. And I guess there's the um, the battle or the uh, the siege of Castle Black is probably your episode nine next year. I have to think. Right or Joffrey's wedding. Right, but like I can't imagine. You know they're they're not done with Storm of Swords, but they're over halfway through. I can't imagine next season's just the last third of Storm of Swords. So here's where it's going to start to get interesting. I think as they start to work in. You think we'll start pull- pulling from the beginning of the next book and stuff like I that? I think they have to. I mean, I think the one season to one book thing is, well, we now know it's officially over, but I think this is where it starts getting a lot messier. Right. Because if you're still listening to this, you know that book four and five have a split thing where half the characters in book four, half the characters in book five, obviously, obviously they're not going to do that with the TV show. They're not going to tell Peter Dinklage to go not be on the show for a year. Yeah, right. They'll just smush them together and make that book four and five will be two or three seasons. Which I think means next season you're going to start seeing things from book three, book four, and book five. And what I'm really hoping for, and I'm optimistic about happening, is I think this is where the show could really improve the books. Because there's cool stuff in uh, both season four and season five but uh, both books are about as long, I think maybe even longer than A Storm of Swords, even though right. much, much, much less interesting things happen. It's crazy how much shit they're going to be doing. So I, I think you can streamline some of that. I think not having Tyrion in book four hurts book four, just like not having Cersei in book five hurts book five. So I think like 
there is something interesting in there, and I think that um, they've done such an amazing job optimizing the show and improving the show from the books that I think it's possible that they might be able to actually make seasons four and five better than books four and five. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think the TV show is uh, like already passing it, to be honest, you know? <laughs> I agree, and that's so... I'm, I know we talked so much about the book in the first half of the show, but I am so fascinated by like every decision they make when they adapt this because it seems so impossible. If you read the books adapting it, like th- people must have told them they were crazy for years, but they're making it look easy. Yeah, yeah, I know. That, it's like one of those things where it's like, how are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? And they've not only done it, but they've like improved on it like right. storytelling yeah it's like they're they're you're, you got to focus more on the characters at this point than on like the book breakdown so it's like we just got to tell the plot line of Arya at the same time as we tell the plot line of Tyrion and if we have to do some creative like well let's slide this event up a little bit so it uh like I couldn't even imagine being in the writer's room for this show just like what the fucking work like the map of like what's gonna happen must look like yeah like yeah and if we get a ninth season that's when we'll start doing it like the well, this show, they're, they're going to be on as long as they can keep the actors employed and as long as they can spend their story out. Like, they, they, you don't have to worry about this show not getting renewed anytime soon. Right, I know, but it's supposed to be a seven-book series, right? Yeah. The show is going to catch up to George R.R. Martin first. Well, I think what they could potentially do, if they're taking, you know, roughly two seasons to tell book three, I think it's very possible to condense books four and five into one, into one season. Tell books four or five in one season? I think so. Not that much happens in them. That's true. Ooh, that would be crazy. I mean, it's going to get rough. Like, it's not going to be all of four and all of five in one season. Like I'm saying, I think we're going to start seeing some of that stuff next year. But uh, I think it's, like, potential. I don't know. You know who really suffers in books four and five is Tyrion, who's the best character, even on the page. He's the best character on the show. Uh, he's not in book four at all. Because and then what... book five, I don't love his plot line. It's where he's terrible. Like... like, he's... Uh, Tyrion's exciting and fun when he's like, you know, matching wits with people uh, who are in the, involved in the race for the crown. In books four and five, he's just like, I don't know, on his own, on an adventure. He meets that girl, uh, what's her name, Dot or something, like another midget. And they have, uh, you know, they have like the circus act. And he like circles so close to Daenerys. And you're like, all right, well, at least this is going to end with Tyrion meeting Daenerys. And it never happens. <laughs> I know it's fucking nuts. I I don't. <laughs> I can't believe, and I I brought this I brought this up after I had only watched the show. I can't believe after five books of a seven book series, Daenerys has still effectively never met any of the other characters. I know, which is great. Like it's like just is book seven just going to be her rampaging through Westeros? I mean, I Wait, get I get I I love the sprawl of the series and these things are developing elsewhere. But after five books, as opposed to three, I'm like starting to run out of patience for some of these things to start coming together. Exactly. All right. So let's, let's transition to an insane spoiler world. Let's talk about what we think is going to happen in the rest of the books. Well, that's not really an insane spoiler world because we oh, I, I mean, like I'm saying we're supposed to be talking about season three of game of Thrones. Now we're talking about potential future for the, uh, not, that's what I mean. We're like, not sorry, not spoiler, but we're, technically off topic well it does seem like that's what i was wondering before you know um when we were talking about how benioff and weiss they know the ending like what it, what could the ending what is the ending even about like which characters does it concern that's what i'm really i'm really intrigued about and i, I I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think i would love to start hypothesizing about what we think 
the books are going to happen in the books and then look for evidence in the show. I think that would be really fun. So something interesting happened this year, which is um, Rob's wife, who is Jane in the books, but Talia or Talisa or something on the show, they changed her name for some reason. She she lives in the book. She doesn't get killed. And I think there's actually some speculation that she's pregnant. Right. But now, uh, you know, because of the show, we know that, like, that's probably not true. Like, I very much doubt they killed her and very unambiguously her baby. Yes. If uh, if she was going to be pregnant in the books and that child was somehow going to become a major character. Exactly, exactly. So the, the TV show is, like, pointing, at least in some ways, pointing the way towards where the books might be going. It's hard not to, I mean, it seems like, if I had to guess, it, se- it certainly seems like it's building up to Daenerys uniting the Seven Kingdoms and leading them against the White Walkers in some fashion. It's very hard to imagine this wrapping up in, like, you know, the neat little bow where, like, Daenerys is queen and everyone's content. I have a feeling, I think a big plot line will be Bran taking control of one of the dragons. Oh, or- we did, oh that's interesting. We, you know, we didn't even talk about Bran. Yeah, we should we should have hit that. <laughs> well, yeah, Bran is super boring. I don't like, like, dream... Well, he's actually... It got a little interesting in the last episode or two when he finally st- he met Sam and two storylines kind of converged. That's always exciting when you uh, read the books when you're like, finally, this character is meeting this character. Right, <laughs> right. But Bran has a and he has more of it in the books. A lot of dream stuff. I don't really like dream stuff. I don't like it when characters dream in things. It's never good because it removes the stakes. I have this complaint about this season of Mad Men. I haven't seen the last two Mad Men. Can I? Can I won't. I, put that I won't say there? anything. But there's just so much drug in, in the show in general in the last couple of seasons. So many drug trips and uh, dream sequences where you're like they remove the stakes because you know at any moment when something crazy happens, a character can just wake up and be like, "Oh, that was a dream." You know. I, I don't even think that's that's a good point. But I think my problem is like I just don't like the way that dreams usually are like presented and like. Things are surreal. Like, I was never into Twin Peaks, you know? Well, that's the one thing you and I don't have in common then, because I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks. That's the one thing we don't have in common. Because <laughs> I play rugby. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's fair enough. <laughs> so Bran does seem like he he's not my favorite character. does seem like he'll probably be a major player by the end I of the series. He's super int- I, I think if Jon Snow isn't dead, Jon Snow, Bran... Aya and Daenerys are going to be like this weird thing at the end. I think maybe Jon Snow and Daenerys get together. Ooh. What do you think about that? I got, man, I want to like reread the books because I'm like, I'm trying to remember where, like where did Gendry leave off? Yeah, I don't remember. I, there's way more Gendry on the show than there ever was in the books as I recall. Right, exactly. Like I don't even think he was named for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't recall. I did find myself like checking. I do find myself checking the wiki for, you know, this. And I'm not talking Wikipedia. I'm talking specific the Song of Ice and Fire wiki. And yeah. I watch the show and being like, yeah, what happens to that guy? Just like looking ahead a little bit. Right, right. That's a good call. I, sh- I believe it's actually called A Wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, that's pretty good. I love when they can like work it into the title. Like Wikipedia is a re- obviously a really good one, which that's is Star great- Wars wiki. And um, I don't know. There's a few others. What's everyone's favorite wiki? <laughs> I, I love, like, a good specific wiki for something that, like, you didn't think should have one. Like, there's, like, a two-and-a-half-men one, and, like, one of the pages is, like, list of women Charlie Harper has slept with. Oh, it seems unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Well, that's what I love about it. Like, I love when people go deep on things, even if it's not my thing. Like, when just the idea that you can geek out over two-and-a-half-men and, like, 
you know, keep track and like take notes and create this wiki page. Like, I don't know. I, I, what, like, I love it. That's why I like supercuts. I feel like they play into that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so like random you- shit, like the uh, the supercut of fuck the guy from Star Trek getting into the chair the weird way. Like, oh st- yeah, that was so good, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, yeah. I've seen so much next gen at this point. Like, how did I never notice that? Uh, what? Yeah, I know, right? I saw that and I was like, I I didn't watch a lot of Star Trek, but I feel like someone sh- I should have known this. <laughs> well, that's the best one is when they the best kind is when they can like zero in on an observation that's been like under your nose the whole time and you didn't even know it. Another one that comes to mind is I didn't I never recognized and boy have I seen a lot of Saved by the Bell. I've seen way more Saved by the Bell than I've seen Star Trek. Uh, I never recognized that Belding's catchphrase was "Hey, hey, hey, what's going on here?" Oh shit! Yeah, I just now realized that as well. <laughs> well, there's a super cut of him doing it. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess he did say that a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's bring it back to Storm of Swords. What did you think of Lisa Turtle's plotline in Storm of Swords? <laughs> I can't believe they won using the sprain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so who else? I mean, I, you know, another one I looked up was Walder Frey. I was like, what becomes of this guy? Like who has this major role in the series? Right. What other adaptation choices, uh, changes from the book did you like or not like? I was really pumped about, uh, the portrayal of the unsullied. I know that's so random, but those characters, like the idea of the unsullied intrigued me so much when I read them. It was such like an out of bounds thing, like eunuch slave soldiers bred to be like, you know, they were like, uh, Spartans, which I thought was really cool. And then I thought seeing them like live, seeing Grey Worm and shit was really fucking cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm looking forward to Belwas, to be honest with you. Strong Belwas, who is he? He's one of the, I know he's in the Daenerys plotline. Yeah, he's one of the gladiators with the scars all over his stomach, and he's like a big fat dude. He's the one who gets sick when he eats the poisoned locusts. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Daenerys, I think, has a good plotline in book five that we can look forward to. Like, what are you looking forward to seeing? I mean, the Red Wedding, um, I think that Benioff and Weiss have said that there's like a scene from book three, and like, as they were, you know, one of the reasons they wanted to do the show in the first place was a scene in book three. I have not read confirmation of this uh, since I watched the episode, but I have to assume that was the Red Wedding. Like, what are you looking forward to seeing depicted now? The Red Wedding was obviously like, you know, couldn't wait to see that. But what what else now? What do we have to look forward to? I look forward to seeing some dragon shit, you know, like some real uh, dragon shit. Uh, curious about me. None of this. None of this fake dragon shit we've had so far. Well, I mean, like, they get to do more and more stuff, at, like, later on in the books. Yeah, I was nervous, like, how would the dragons be done in CG and stuff, but it's been more or less fine. I'm cur- I'm, I'm excited to meet Damp Hair. Who is that? He's uh, one of the guys from the Kingsmoot. He's, like, one of the Iron Islands oh, guys. Oh, yeah, I love the... I don't know why, but, like, I really like Baylor. Uh, I like the Iron Islands philosophy. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, ex- and there, there's a lot more of them coming. I'm excited to see that. I, I I I really I like that. I'm excited about the faceless men. I want to see Arya's plotline big time. Oh my god, Arya does have one. Of, I didn't want to talk about that much before, but Arya does have one of the coolest plotlines, especially. And this is a big cliffhanger in book four is when she wakes up and she's blind, and then you don't catch up with her again until book five, I believe. Right. I think she's going to become like a badass, like serious, like killer that is going to be working on behalf of the good or for the Starks in, in some way, but she's going to become like a fucking ninja more or less. I think that's going to happen if it hasn't happened already. But what I'm less confident about is that she'll be like a force of good. Like she's had this whole shitty life. Like, uh, it's easy to imagine her, you know, just taking revenge and bloodlust and so forth. Right. Well, the reason she's blinded is because she kills that guy who abandoned the night's watch 
but who had good reason to do it, the guy who was traveling with Sam and Gilly. And we saw this a little bit in the show. I think in the books, as I recall, that Seymour Arya kills the dude who did the sewing of the head. She's by herself. Here she's with the hound. Um, but you see, like, I, you know, that's not a terrific killing. I mean, it's not clearly morally superior. I guess that guy sewed the head on. That's pretty weird. Yeah, but I, I really dug, like, that prison style that she, he shanked her, she shanked him out in, you know? She's like, you know, like three times in the neck, like that scene in Breaking Bad when they all get knifed up. Or every scene in Oz. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that's cool about Aya's character, which is while we're on it, she's had tutelage under a bunch of different amazing, like, warriors or, men, uh, like, uh, lifestyle mentors. Like, like if you think Cereo about it, and, uh, Cereo, the guy, the shapeshifter, the face changer guy. Right, right. Um, now the hound, who's like, you know, casually teaching her lessons and stuff like that. And then she becomes part of the faceless men. That's what I think they're demonstrating is that she's going to end up being like this iconic warrior because she's got training coming from all different bounds. And, and this is why I think she'll be a force for the good because she's still Eddard's daughter. Right, right. So I think she's going to be this person that's like seen the world, become super powerful, like, you know, uh, as a warrior, and then gets to like lead. I I guarantee. Going back to that head sewing, after I watched episode nine, I I was impressed that they didn't pull any punches, that they did everything. Actually, they did a little more because they killed the Rob's wife character um, that was in the books, including that awesome part where Caitlin kills that girl. Though in those again in the books, I think she kills um his son yeah. instead of his wife. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. But just that like she knows it's meaningless, but she just like does it anyway, I think is like a, an awesome note for her to go out on. But I was disappointed that they didn't do the wolf's head sewed on, which was an image that like really got in my head when I read the book. But then yeah. next episode, I was glad to see they did it. They did it in silhouette almost. You didn't really get a good look at it, which I thought was uh, which I thought was better because then it didn't like look bad. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, along the along the same lines, we haven't even spoken about the fact that Catelyn's not dead. Right, right. Which even <laughs> you know it's weird because she comes back. I think at the end of Storm of Swords, it's like the very last thing that happens is you learn that she's still alive. Right, or you learn that some woman is still alive. No, I think- you learn it's her. You learn it's her. Yeah, but. She doesn't, zombie Caitlin doesn't do a whole lot throughout books four or five. I think she shows up one or two more times. I know. But just, it's like, that's crazy. Like, like I want to tell people that, like, I want, that's the spoiler I want to say, like, when people are like, the Red Wedding's crazy. I want to just be like, Caitlin's not even dead. <laughs> I know, I know. I thought maybe they'd go out on the season with that. Maybe that's like season premiere, season, I don't know, five, looking ahead a little. Yeah, I'm really curious. What are you looking forward to coming up in the next, uh, the next season? The Joffrey death. How they do that is going to be something that I think people will be, you know, people are going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be huge. Poisoning a child, even though he's evil, that's going to be a lot to watch. Yeah. And I think the moment when it's revealed who did it, I think people will be really excited about, too. Yeah. That's probably, I guess, maybe episode nine next year. It's either that or the Castle Black thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are, those are going to be good ones. But, like, as much as I love the Joffrey performance, um, and I really do, and I love a good villain. I talk about that a lot on the show, I think. Uh, I will be – I, and I'll be sad to not have him on the show anymore. Like, watching him die is going to feel amazing. Yes. Watching Joffrey get killed. It's going to be great to Listen see Listen to what the show's done to me. I'm like, watching him die. What about uh, – is Tyrion killing Tywin in the next uh, series? Probably. That probably happens in, like, the immediate aftermath of uh, the royal wedding, I have to assume. 
Uh, that'll be like episode 10, right? Episode Maybe, 9, yeah. we'll have Joffrey. Like, that, you know what I'm not looking forward to is that is Shay and what happens with Shay, I think, is going to be really hard to watch. And it was hard to watch her scene with Varys this season. Yeah. Um, that oh. new one where she, you know, passes on the opportunity to leave knowing what's coming. Oh, yeah, it's so bad. That comes out of, you know, that's another one where I think the show might have improved because in the books... That a little bit came out of nowhere for me, but in the TV show, I can already see them setting it up. Right, exactly. So here's the question. I really do think, like, the uh, first three seasons of this show, like, put it in the conversation of the all-time greats. And it's it's a weird one because it's based on these books and it's not a, an original thing. But I, I think it's pretty clearly, you know, um, in what we colloquially call in the show the pantheon of, of great shows. But... I don't. I'm, I'm hesitant to put it there because I know what's coming is potentially a lot weaker than what we've already seen. See, here, here's the thing, uh, and I, and I, I'll, I'll take a counterpoint to this. Granted, I'm the guy who likes most things. I think the TV show is demonstrating serious proficiency in pulling this off. Like, I think so too. I think so too. I think they'll make it work even better. I think serious proficiency is really underselling. I mean, the books are great. I don't mean to shit on the books. Like George R. R. Martin's great. The books are great. Um, but I think the job that Benioff and Weiss and I don't know how the hell they do it, like everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera has done. Um, I, I think it's maybe like the best is a weird award to give it, but the best adaptation of anything ever, maybe, you know, like how often does the adaptation improve? How, how, not, I guess it's probably been improved. There's probably a few movies that are better than the books they're based on. But something at the scope, like the difficulty of adapting it and then the success that they had in adapting it, I, I think is unprecedented. That's a fun trivia question, by the way. What are some movies that are better than the book? That, that exists. Fight Club. Mm, I never read Fight Club. Uh, it's a really good book, but the movie, the movie is so stylistic that it really just takes it to a different level, you know? I guess Dexter, which I've also never read. Like the Dexter TV show certainly seems more well-loved than the uh, than the books ever were as far as i can tell tiff read dexter and she says it's pretty good but the books are uh the show is way better but even that like dexter is like a relatively straightforward thing and it's a good show or was a good show anyway um and it's difficult because you've got the serial killer main character who has to be sympathetic so i'm not saying like dexter's easy but the idea dexter seems way more adaptable and i've never read the books again so take what i'm saying with a grain of salt so much more adaptable than what they've done with game of thrones yeah, totally, totally. Well, yeah, Game of Thrones is just like Dexter is got the one character is in the title, you know. Like, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this: You read more fantasy novels than I do. Yeah, uh, are there any that you want to see get this treatment as a full, not just a movie, as a full series? Oh, uh, all every Drizzito Erden story. <laughs> that's a Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah, that's a Forgotten Realms uh, storyline, like the Halfling's Gem specifically, which is a great trilogy. I think that could be a that could be a movie man, trilogy. When you as mainstream as nerddom has gotten, and again, this is probably the most by some obscure measure, but the most popular show on. I know there are shows that are watched more, but none are like as passionately as I think this one is right now. Yeah. Uh, I, and Doctor Who is popular. Video games are popular. As big as nerddom has gotten, I still think writing Dungeons and Dragons on anything is like a kiss to death. Oh, I know. And they're making a D&D movie. Really? Another one? They've done... There's the one, which is terrible. I've seen With, it. With uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Irons and Marlon Wayans, I think. Yeah. And then I think there's a direct-to-video sequel to it. 
Oh, and I just read a script for, I think the movie was originally titled Chainmail, and I think it's being possibly greenlit as a Dungeons & Dragons movie. There's just some controversy because who owns D&D, like Mattel or TSR or Wizards, whatever it is. I thought it was Wizards. Yeah, I think it was Wizards, but I, I don't really know like who owns the rights to the movies. You know, I think that changes. The thing about Dungeons & Dragons is like... Um it's Dungeons and Dragons is as and I'm not a D and D guy, so I'd like I'd like you to confirm what I'm saying. Uh, it's about making your own story. It's not there's no d- classic Dungeons and Dragons like core story to be adapted like there is with Game of Thrones. There's certainly Dungeons and Dragons books like you mentioned the specific Drizzt to Erden series. Yeah. Um. But but like as a whole, Dungeons and Dragons at its core is about making up your own story. So I don't I don't know that it's like ever going to be a great candidate. I'm saying I think there could be a good. Dungeons and Dragons movie, maybe they do Baldur's Gate the movie, you know, take a specific story or Drizzt Erden or whatever. It doesn't particularly lend itself to being adapted, I don't think. I think it does because it's a world. I think it's just a world in which things exist and it's got a commonality where people know what an ogre is, what a halfling is, what an elf is. And it's a world where these, like a series of movies could just take place and create like one character and follow his adventures or, you know, this could be a whole thing. Maybe they'll adapt the Dungeons and Dragons animated series with those kids that get on the theme park ride. You get on the roller coaster and end up and they have like a flying dragon and a wizard with no feet or whatever the hell that crew is. Yeah, yeah. There's a dude with a shield. I was really into that show when I was a kid. Yeah, I think you could do Dungeons and Dragons as just like a gen- I mean, you could that and that sounds like what you were saying. Like it was just a generic fantasy script, which isn't bad. Yeah. And they were like, Yeah, why don't we call it a Dungeons and Dragons fantasy script? You know, slap this, slap this brand name on it. Right, exactly, and that just gives it, like, that little, little extra kick, you know? Which could work. I mean, that's happened before, like, um, die, I don't know why this is the example jumping to mind, but Die Hard 3 was originally a generic movie called Simon Says, and I believe it was Lethal Weapon 3 at some point before it became Die Hard 3. But at some point, it was just a generic action movie, and they're like, eh, why don't we put this thing people already like on it? Well, that shit happens all the time. Like, that Speed 2 cruise control has nothing to do with speed, you know, it's like, <laughs> but I think that script existed, they were like, ah, oh, we could retcon this into being a speed movie, and then people, more people will go see it, even if it sucks. Right, right. So, anything else? I feel like we, we, we've talked about it, I feel like our stance on the issue is clear. Uh, nervous, but cautiously optimistic about the the future of the show. I think it has a good, good chance of actually improving on the books even more than the show's already been doing. And yeah. I can't say enough about how impressed I am with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's not talk again for the rest of the year until one year from today when we're, you know, we're talking about how the show portrayed Joffrey's death and so forth. John, thanks so much for doing this uh, once again. Dude, thanks for having me. Um, this has been a real pleasure. Okay, everybody out of the pool, that is it for this week's episode. Next week, believe it or not, not going to be a Game of Thrones episode. Uh, I mentioned this briefly earlier. Next week on the show, we are going to be talking to the Canadian remote control airplane champion. Uh, And not only is she the first female champion, she's actually one of the only, maybe even the only females competing in the sport. I had a lot of fun talking. We learned a lot about RC airplanes. You're going to learn a lot about it, too. If you listen to that episode, it will be up on Tuesday, and I will remind you about it if you follow me on Twitter, where I am at Jeff Rubenshaw, on Tumblr at jeffrubenjeffrubin.com, on my Facebook fan page, or at my website, jeffrubenjeffrubinshow.com, where I have my contact information. I would love to hear from you. Any feedback, any suggestions for guests for future episodes. And uh, now we just begin the long wait until Game of Thrones Season 4. But until then, I will be back on Tuesday. See you there.